welcome once again to Raging and Eating. This is Rossi, better known as Chef Rossi, owner and executive chef of the Raging Skillet in New York City. And welcome once again to my weirdo, wild, kind of wacky and delicious sort of rant. Well, here we are in spring. I mean, it feels like spring. I guess it's spring, right? The flowers are blooming. I mean, it's gorgeous. It's like a few weeks when it's just gorgeous like this. All the trees are suddenly exploding in flowers and everyone's running out to photograph them. You turn on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or anything and it's all full of millions of photographs of all these flowers everywhere. And the lilacs, oh my God, I love lilacs. It always reminds me of Mother's Day was my mother's favorite flower and I guess it's my favorite flower too I just love the way they smell I mean I go by a bush that's exploding or a tree that's exploding in lilacs of course I want to pick them all because I love them so much but I try to refrain because I want the world to appreciate them too um not saying I've always refrained a few times I picked a little bit but not too much anyway but it's gorgeous we're rolling in flowers the weather's getting better things feel brighter and more optimistic and so while we're rolling in all that goodness I've had a couple of things that have been kind of aggravating me lately and what I would say is it's like um how the world has just become so sensitive Things that started out as a good thing have sort of become not such a good thing. So I'll give you an example. The Me Too movement. Now, as a chef, as a woman chef, forget it. I mean, sexual harassment was as much a part of the game of becoming a professional chef or a professional cook as a woman as salt and pepper. I mean, especially in the 80s and 90s. Forget it. Terrible. And so definitely stopping sexual harassment against women. It's so important against anyone, not just against women. We don't want men to be sexually harassed either. But it started as a good thing. I mean, in Hollywood, the poor actors and actresses. I remember my mother told me this story when she was growing up. There was a woman who was her age who was a dancer and she had a chance to dance on the Jackie Gleason show. And that was a big deal. This is like, I guess it would be the 1940s or 1950s. I don't know. When was his show? 1950s maybe. Anyway, it was a really big deal. This is like before the Honeymooners. He used to have a variety show, the Jackie Gleason show. And so she was the talk of the town. She was all excited. She was going to dance on the show. And they had a lot of dancers on the show. And then one day she sort of showed up back in the town and never danced on the show. So my mother said, what happened? This was your big break. I mean, the whole town was all excited. It's a small town in New Jersey. And her friend, I guess she was maybe 18, a young woman, she said, well, she got called into Jackie Gleason's office and there was a big couch in there. So I always think of this story when I hear that expression, casting couch. And she was told that if she wanted to dance on the show, she had to have sex with Jackie Gleason. And that no one got to dance on the show without having sex with Jackie Gleason. Well, 
This woman was horrified and she refused and she didn't get to dance on the show. And I was totally freaked out. I mean, I guess I was like 12 years old when my mother told me that story. And I never could quite look at Jackie Gleason the same way again. So afterwards, when my family would watch The Honeymooners, which was a funny show, but man, I'm like, oh, Jackie, you're a bad apple. I really couldn't get into it. But that was just how it was in Hollywood. You wanted to get ahead. That's what you had to do. And professional cooking for women. Women were prevented from doing that forever. And finally we got in in the 90s, the 80s and 90s was hard, but it was just all sexual harassment. So this is not a whole rant about sexual harassment. This is to say it was a terrible thing, and it is a terrible thing, and it had to stop. So I celebrated the Me Too movement. Yes, at long last, women are standing up loud, very loud, and we're getting attention, and heads are rolling. And terrible, terrible men who abuse their power and really hurt women were being held accountable. Finally, at long last, it was a good thing, is a good thing. But what seems to be happening now is it's going sort of towards another extreme where, as an example, a friend of mine who has a job in a large company and she's got very good friends and they go out and they have lunch and they have a wonderful time and they love each other. But she was told that she couldn't hug them, that no one in the company from here on out, no one is allowed to hug. And it doesn't matter if you have lunch every day, it doesn't matter if you love each other, and you talk on the phone every night, no one in that company was allowed to hug each other. So I guess if you wanted to hug your friend who you sat next to, uh, your desk was next to their desk, you had to do it uh, off grounds. Like if you were in school, I would say off school grounds, but not under the roof of this company. No hugging was allowed and forget kissing, forget anything. Because they were so freaked out that uh, someone might prop, you know, hug you inappropriately. And so it kind of went to that extreme. And then it went to another extreme where several people I know very often see someone and want to compliment them. Someone looks nice and they have a nice outfit. You go to work, you put on a nice outfit. You want to hear someone say, oh, you look wonderful in your outfit or you look beautiful or whatever you want to hear. But no one felt comfortable to do that anymore. And so they were just kind of say safe things like, um, nice to see you, looking good. I don't even know, maybe not even looking good was okay. So my point is that something that started as a really good thing is now going to this other extreme, which is making people feel frightened to compliment someone who looks good that day. You can't hug anyone, you can't kiss anyone. You know, I feel like that's kind of going too extreme. And so many things are like that where they start as a good thing and then they go to this whole other spectrum. And I myself wind up getting in trouble all the time. So let's call this um, the sensitivity patrol, or maybe I would call it the sensitivity Nazis, but we don't wanna misuse the word Nazi or I'll start getting hate mail for that. And believe me, I lost family in the Holocaust. I get it, it's a terrible thing. So let's keep the Nazi word out for now. But it's starting to remind me a little bit 
of the communist witch hunt or the Salem witch hunt, the burning of the witches in Salem. You know, back then, a woman would do something ever, even just slightly unusual, maybe start singing to herself in a song no one knew or just got a job someone else wanted. Well, they didn't get jobs then. They could only be a wife or a mother, but you know what I mean. And so someone would just be like, she's a witch, and then she'd burn. I mean, forget it. So that's what happens now. Someone comes in, maybe they get a job that you wanted. So you say, oh, you know what? They, uh, they looked at me funny. They um, said something inappropriate. Maybe they were completely innocent, but suddenly they're being burned as a witch. Well, in this case, as an abuser, and they might be totally innocent. So I don't know what the answer is because harassment and abuse are horrible and have to be stopped, stopped, stopped. And women have been going through this for as long as we've had women. I mean, I think in Adam and Eve, I think Eve was a good guy, and somehow I don't feel like he harassed, I think, I don't feel like Adam harassed Eve, you know? I gotta think that. I think Adam was probably a good guy. He got tempted with the apple, but I think he was probably a good guy. But pretty much from that point on, you know, as long as they got to be more than a couple of men around, women were getting harassed, you know? So, I don't know what the answer is, but I feel like going so far where we're having these kind of witch hunts over issues is just, and there's another issue, right? Someone's going to be like, how dare you compare this to the witch hunt? Those women were being burned at the stake. Well, you get my point. You have to be very careful what you say these days. But I'm in trouble all the time. So as an example, I'm a gay woman, and I like being called a gay woman. You know, I mean, I calling myself a gay woman. I've always hated the word lesbian for some reason. Nothing against it. It just, I don't know, to me, something, it sounds like an illness. Like, I have to go to the doctor. I have lesbianism. I always thought it was a, a very unattractive word, so I always steered away from it. And sometimes... I will even call myself a rock and roll dyke, sort of reclaiming the word, because it is often used as an insult to a gay woman, so I reclaim it. So I'll be like, I'm a rock and roll dyke. Yeah, baby. You know, reclaim it. Own it. Well, you wouldn't believe how much crap I take for that kind of thing. From some feminists and some old-school lesbians who do not wish to have that word D-Y-K-E you know, made glamorous. And I'm like, it's my word. I'm calling it to myself. I'm not calling you a dyke. I'm calling me a dyke. I like it. I'm owning it. I don't see it as an insult. Certainly not the way I use it. But you get it. I'm in trouble all the time. I have a big mouth and I'm a good person. I'm a humanitarian. I'm a super liberal in the whole, the whole shebang, but constantly in trouble. So recently I had an experience where a comedian who I think is really funny, um, she put something up, one of her performances, and she's got an outrageous sense of humor. Although I have to say she drops the F-bomb about every five seconds. And sometimes I want to be like, yo, maybe like one or two less F-bombs and a few more jokes in there. You know what I mean? But I digress. My point is she's very funny. And she put up some controversial piece. I won't get into it, but she took a subject that was upsetting and instead of crying about it, she found a way to find the humor in it 
which is kind of how I've always survived. I think Jews are really into self-deprecating humor. That's how we survive. So I was growing up, there were lots of bullies. They always wanted to harass me. And the way I survived was with my sense of humor. So I couldn't beat them all up, so I'd make them laugh. So she did something like that. She took a controversial subject and she found the humor in it so that we could laugh at our pain kind of thing. And and so I commented. Everyone else was commenting. It was on social media. And I just commented. Everyone else was like, oh, that's funny, that's funny. And I didn't really have anything intelligent to say. I guess it was too early in the day. But I commented. I said, I said, oh, God, that's really funny. Something like that. And I didn't think anything else of it. That night, I had someone write to me and basically say, if you think that's funny, what kind of a person are you? And I wrote back, what happened to self-deprecating humor? You know, lighten up, come on, get over it. And the next day, I had two more nasty comments and one of them sounded kind of violent. So of course I blocked that person. But I just thought, like, what is wrong with the world? You know, we want to do the right thing. We want to end racism. We want to end homophobia. We want to end sexism. We want to end sexual harassment. Yes, we have to do all of that. We need to do all of that. It's time to do all of that, Dianu. But are we going to go so far that no one can call a woman beautiful if she's beautiful? That no one can hug someone if they're a good friend? That no one can make a self-deprecating joke. I mean, give you an example of what I'm talking about. I make fun of my mother a lot. That's really half my life spent making fun of my mother. And the reason was that it was actually very painful growing up as her daughter. We had lots of terrible fights. And she was also incredibly embarrassing. I mean, she did things that would really mortify you, you know, like holding up an, an entire huge line in the supermarket for a half hour while she was counting out about 500 coupons. It was mortifying. So the way I survived that was by making fun of my mother. And she ate way too much and she forced us to eat way too much and she got very large and expelled a lot of gas and it was mortifying. So I survived by making fun of my mother. So now when I make fun of my mother, immediately I get someone attacking me Um, because my mother was Jewish and I'm Jewish, I'm making fun of my mother, someone will attack me and say, that's anti-Semitic. And I'm like, oh, really? So a Jewish woman cannot make fun lovingly of her Jewish mother, now gone in heaven, mom, I love you, without being attacked. Or they'll attack me by saying, you're making fun of fat people. And I'm like, give me a break. You know what I mean? So just think about it. Where is the line? Like, we want to be kind, and we want to be caring. We don't want to abuse anyone. We don't want to belittle anyone. We don't want to be homophobic or racist or sexist or any of those horrible things. But do we want to stop uh, being human, being able to make fun of ourselves, being able to tell each other that we're beautiful, being able to hug each other? I mean, I do not want to stop making fun of my mother because that's how I immortalize her keep talking about her and I keep writing about her and now there is a play that's traveled around the country that lovingly makes fun of her too and my mother would have loved it 
It's one of the last things she said about my writing about her. I was making fun of her in a cooking column about how once she got her first microwave, she never cooked anything again. And I clipped it out and I sent it to her. I thought she might be mad at me. And she said, Slava, you've immortalized me. She said, promise you'll always keep writing about me. And I'm like, Mom, of course I'm always going to keep writing about you. How could I ever stop? I mean, there's so much material. So I guess my point is, think about this. You are, let's say you're a business owner and you have several people who work for you and you want to be kind to them and you want to be nice to them. And when they come into work, they might look lovely one day. Maybe you're a man and you have a woman who works for you and she comes in, she looks beautiful one day. Like, why can't you just say you look beautiful today? I mean, I know when people say that to me, it really feels good. Then, no, you cannot touch them inappropriately. You cannot hit on them. You cannot do any of those horrible things. But with respect and kindness and decency, why can't you say you look beautiful today? I mean, you know what I mean? It's too much. So on the subject of making fun of my mother, I'm digressing a little bit as usual. I just got asked recently to write something about canned tuna fish. It was actually a whole article, kind of an homage to canned fish. And when I was asked to write something on the subject, I thought, boy, did they come to the right place because I have a lot to say about canned tuna fish. So it started with my mother. I'm going to make fun of my mother, of course. She had some coupons. I think it was like a dollar off Starkist tuna in water. And we are Jews, and Jews always will say tuna in water. You have to have, say the whole sentence. Now, it's not tuna in oil. It had to be Starkist tuna in water, albacore white, Starkist tuna in water. That's what we liked. I mean, I think my mother had like dollar off coupons, and I think the Starkist was like, back then it was cheap. Maybe it was like a dollar fifty a can or something. And some of the supermarkets back then would have triple value coupon day. So that meant if you went to that supermarket, let's say the Pathmark, and it was triple coupon day, and you had a dollar off something, it would suddenly be worth $3. So if the Starkist tuna was $1.75, well, you certainly were going to get it for free. But my mother managed to go on triple coupon day, and she would load out with three huge grocery carts, get everything for free, and they would wind up owing her money. They'd have to give her like 20 or 30 bucks on top of it. They actually instituted a new rule just because of my mother that you might be able to get all your stuff for free, but they weren't going to also give you money. They weren't going to pay you on top of it. And so this particular day, my mother wound up getting something like 100 cans of Starkist tuna in water. I mean, it was a crazy amount of tuna. And so we were eating a lot of tuna. Trust me, that year was like the year of the tuna. But so I started getting kind of creative with the tuna because you can only have so much tuna fish, especially since my parents did not believe in mayonnaise. I don't know. I guess my father thought it was not good for his high blood pressure. I don't know what the deal was. We were like an anti-mayonnaise family. So I would mish it up with some mustard. We always had packets of mustard from Burger King and McDonald's and 
places like that. I would mish up the tuna with some mustard, do things like that. But when I went out on my own, way too young, I had some really, really poor years. And um, I would occasionally get these drive-bys by my parents. My mother would drop groceries off. And so one of the things I would always get, of course, was Starkist tuna in water. And there would always be ragu tomato sauce because that was a triple value coupon thing. And there would always be pasta. So I was poor and I was starving and I had no money and I was terrified. And I lived in a terrible neighborhood and everything was really hard. But I had canned tuna and pasta and tomato sauce, ragu tomato sauce. So things were not entirely terrible. And so I started making this pasta. I started actually when I ran away from home because I swiped my mother's tuna and ragu and pasta back then too, kind of like in a bag. That was my like runaway food. But I started making this pasta where I would heat up the ragu and then I would always find a way to get olives. When I ran away, there was a bar next door. I swiped some of the martini olives. That's a polite way of saying borrowed and didn't pay back, you know what I mean? And sliced them and threw them in the sauce. And then I would drain the tuna and flake it into the sauce and cook the whole thing and boil my pasta, drain the pasta, mix it all up, and I would have this tuna tomato pasta. I have a friend of mine always reminds me of when she first came over my first apartment in Brooklyn when I was a teenager, and I made her tuna pasta, and she thought it was the weirdest thing she ever ate in her life. But you know what? She ate every bit of it, so how bad could it be? Later on, when I learned about pasta puttanesca, which naturally I gravitated to, pasta of the whores, so how could I not gravitate towards that? The idea was that the ladies of the night, the prostitutes of Italy, they would come home late at night, and they would have nothing to eat, so they would open up their cupboards and they would find staples of an Italian home, be like anchovy and capers and olives and pasta and tomato, and they would make this pasta. So it was named after them, pasta puttanesca, pasta of the whores. So the first time I had pasta puttanesca, well, I'm not an anchovy fan, so I didn't like that part of it. But aside from the anchovy part, I thought it was eerily familiar, and then I realized that it reminded me a lot of my starving artist pasta that I would make with the tuna, which is what I call it, actually, my starving artist pasta. And so I said, you know what? A lot of people out there, I think, would love pasta puttanesca, but don't like anything fishy. I'm not a fishy girl. That's why I like white albacore tuna in water, not in oil and not light tuna, not light tuna, not pink tuna. I want my white albacore. I can tell if I have a tuna melt or a tuna salad. If I say, is that white tuna? They said, yeah, yeah. And I get it. I know immediately if it's light tuna and not white tuna because it's just a little bit fishy and I'm not down with that. So the same thing with my pasta puttanesca. Now, if you're a fishy fan, knock yourself out. Go for the anchovies, go for the light tuna. But the way I make my starving artist pasta, which is very similar to pasta puttanesca, and then I could not have planned that it was, but because these were my staples, and I'm not a whore, never was, thank you very much. But I 
heat up my sauce and I throw in capers and I throw in sliced olives, not chopped or diced, but sliced olives, Kalamata olives and green olives like martini olives are gorgeous. Throw that in and some red pepper flakes. And then what I do is, now you could start off by sauteing minced garlic over low heat and then throw in your sauce and your capers and your olives and everything. But very often what I'll do is I'll take some garlic cloves and cover them with olive oil and bring it to a simmer and just cook it until they're nice and cooked and brown and soft. And then I have I have a beautiful garlic oil. I cook them for a long time and I have the beautiful garlic. And I'll take the garlic out and either smash it or puree it or however I do it. Usually I'm lazy. I throw it in the food processor for a couple of pulses. And I'll throw that in. So either you start with sauteing your garlic over low heat, a nice amount of olive oil, virgin olive oil, and then you throw in your tomatoes and your capers and your olives, red pepper flakes, some basil is nice. Or you do what I did, just cook the garlic separately, pureed it a little bit, and then threw it in. I throw in the tuna last. You kind of flake it first and throw it in last. And some basil is nice. Some oregano is nice. And you boil your pasta. It doesn't have to be spaghetti. It could be penne. It could be, I like the shells. I even macaroni. Whatever pasta you like. Fusilli. I'm a big fusilli fan. I like twirling. Then you drain your pasta. Maybe you cook it just a little less, like a little bit al dente. And you pour your pasta drained into your sauce and you cook it all together for a little bit and you put it in a nice bowl and you can top it, top it with a ton of parmesan because who doesn't love a ton of parmesan and if you don't mind being fishy then go ahead and use the anchovy but like I said I'm not down with fishiness so what does pasta puttanesca have to do with us being overly sensitive and trying to get over ourselves? Nothing really, but I have a feeling if I keep talking about the pasta of the whores, eventually I'm going to get a rotten letter from someone saying, you're making fun of prostitutes and they're people too. So I have a lot of respect for prostitutes, by the way. They're hardworking and they deserve to have a nice dinner. So it's good that they have a beautiful pasta like this. This was my starving artist pasta. Remember I was cooking at a restaurant. I had to come up with a pasta special and somehow I couldn't think of one. And then I'm like, oh, wait a second. We got canned tuna from the lunchtime tuna melts. We have loads of olives for a million different reasons. We always had capers. We always had pasta. We always had tomatoes. I'm going to make my starving artist pasta, which is, like I said, basically my version of a puttanesca. But I love the fact that when I invented it, thinking I invented it anyway, I never had or heard of puttanesca. I was rather naive, you know what I mean? So as you go through your life, just try and lighten up a little bit. If a good, decent, wonderful person says a wrong word, not realizing they've said anything offensive to you, whatever the wrong word is offended you, just don't attack them. You know, just explain to them, you know, that particular word hurts my feelings and here's why. And be soft with them because they're not trying to do anything rotten. They're a decent person. And if you happen to screw up and you say a word that insults somebody, just apologize, you know, don't, you know, don't make a big deal out of it. Life is short. Just try to have love and kindness and do the best you can. 
That's what it comes down to in this overly sensitive PC cancel culture kind of world. Just do the best you can with love and kindness and respect. And hopefully it'll work out. You know what I mean? So this is Rossi for Raging and Eating. And as always, remember, food is love and so are you. Now go out and do something delicious. And you know what? If someone looks beautiful, just tell them they look beautiful. Who doesn't like to hear that they're beautiful? And by the way, I haven't even met you, but I think you're beautiful. All right, I'm shutting up now.